Believe it or not, it's a town called Flinflon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flinflon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Above ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Hey, yo, what up? Raphael Ray Bebe here alongside uh, my fiance, love of my life, and uh, international woman of mystery, the lovely, if not talented, Susan Gunn. What up, Aloha. Susan? Aloha, aloha. Okay, this is the big one. This is the big one. This is the this, one. This, this was, this was an epic chat. This is, the, we needed a water break during this one. The, this was, we wanted to get these people on since we started the podcast. Just whenever we had a free time, we asked them, and these people do not have a lot of free time, so it was no. pretty awesome of them to share their time with us. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> it was. No, I'm, I agree. It was, it was. I know I was very excited to hear the story. The, the epic story of this, how, how all this came to be. Yes, this is uh, Mark Colt and Crystal Colt, or Crystal Colt and Mark Colt. Don't want to you know, be that guy. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're on, this may be, we're, we're going to have to carve this up at the parts. They came to the uh, palatial sewer box office global headquarters. Yes, they did. You know, per, uh, the, the elevator, the goods lift came up. They... <laughs> Wandered their way to our two solariums. They the butler showed them the, down they, the hall. Yes, my yeah, butler, of absolutely. course, my butler Cadbury showed them coats, Cadbury to their the to darn their socks for them as they broadcast mm-hmm. here. Absolutely. And so these folks came to our community with an amazing resume of musical talent. Well, and yes, first passion. the backstory, and then yes, and you know everything you know before Flynn Flon. Before Flin Flon is, and, is and, amazing. And, and then after Flin Flon and then kind of the, the transition to come to Flin Flon. And so it's, yeah, it's definitely, this is a so this will comfy, be, folks. Yeah, so this, uh, I guess, will be a part one. So this is the uh, Mark and Crystal's upbringing as they grew up in uh, Winnipeg and, and went to school. Their uh, very cool relationships they had with their their family and how they got to be playing um just a tremendous amount of, of everything from, from piano to singing mm-hmm. to, you know, getting degrees in music, then getting other degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just international their, their, stuff. Their, their, their work ethic with their passion yes. really blows me away because they just, they really, the commitment to to bettering themselves as, as musicians and artists, and it was just, it's just very fascinating. And they're, they're tremendously humble people, but mm-hmm. we got them to boost. Yes, well, that's what this Bo- is about. Yes, we want about people boosting. to boost. A boost, you a say. A boost, I mean. It looked like a boost it to me. It like a boost So uh, this will be part one of uh, the Colts here on Sewer Box Office Podcast. At many tropical destinations, including the Caribbean, you could catch serious liver diseases like hepatitis A or B many different ways. For hepatitis A, it could be as easy as one contaminated ice cube. So take your vacation in Flin Flon, Manitoba. Come on, come to Manitoba and have a beer. The ice cubes won't make you sick, and there's stuff to do. Come on, come to Flin Flon. Brought to you by the Northwest Central Manitoba Tourist Board. should be interviewing you too. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'm going to turn this around. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Winnipeg, you guys both grew up? We did, yeah. And 
performing arts musical families, maybe? No, not well, necessarily, but kind of. of. Yeah, there's a bit of a story there, I guess, yeah. for both of us. Well, we have, we're doing a thing. Okay. <laughs> well, do you want to, me, I got, my dad uh, was a huge, first of all, he was um, the son of a shoemaker, and uh, you know, the, he's second generation Polish, poor family, North End, Winnipeg. Um, of all the kids, he uh, was the one that really got into things like, you remember when you would see pictures of people learning to dance with those footsteps that you would the put? Arthur Murray. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he would do that in the coal, in the coal shoot so that his brother, four other brothers wouldn't wouldn't tease him. Uh, he was the one of the ones that went off to uh, law school, and but he was the guy that tried everything. So he would pile all us in the car, and we would head out to a. Um, a field, farmer's field, with his easel and his paints, and he wanted to paint, learn to paint, because kids would roam around, and mom would be worried, you're going to get lost, smoking, and then, <laughs> we did, and then, uh, and then we would have just great time doing that, when he wanted to learn Japanese, he learned Japanese, when he wanted to um, be part of the, this brand new thing called the Manitoba Opera Association, he was a super for the Manitoba Opera Association, so he didn't sing, but he was the guy holding the sword or taking the, the tenor across the stage in the rickshaw or sentencing the tenor to death. And and that was his his love. So and because of that, whenever we would go to drive us to school, we'd have opera um, in the car going there and going back. So by the time we got to see the opera, we were able to really familiar familiarize us with the ourselves with the music and so uh so dad was part um chopin and uh and just part everything and my mom's side of the family were farmer side so there was uh, slim whitman and johnny cash and so that was my that was so i did yeah so i didn't really know the beatles i like my when i the pink floyd performance that mark just put on at johnny's it was my first real experience with pink floyd i i sort of missed those those, that i missed four decades and i went oh my god this stuff is great yes i know it was it was great so that's that's me now mark's story i'm I'm just gonna fill in about what uh, uh, Crystal's dad's role. This is apparently a, a somewhat uh, honored thing in the legal profession because we were listening just the other day to how Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. Uh, that was her her um, uh, big thing Justice that she that Justice the dis, uh, now deceased Justice Scalia. They both acted as supers for the opera in, um, uh, I guess, Washington? In, the yeah, Court yeah. The Washington. So uh, they, that was their thing, the opera. And they even made a mock opera about how yeah. they, they were on completely different sides of the political spectrum, but they made a mock opera about one sort of rescuing the other from Hades or something like that. <laughs> but, um, uh, but it's true. One of the things I want to mention about that is that... Um, it was this experience. I, w- I went to St. Mary's Academy in Winnipeg, which was an all-girls school. On the way home, I would have to take a couple of buses to get back to Transcona, where I lived. And I would stop. My dad worked for City Hall, and, and which was across the street from the concert hall. So I would get off the bus, and I would wait for his rehearsals during the opera. And I'd be, as a you know, 12 to 15-year-old, I'd be sitting there behind the great Irvin Gutman, who was one of the great uh, all-time opera directors. And, and it was what told me that 
ordinary people like my dad could do extraordinary things with professionals and, and, and be part of a really extraordinary um, production. And so that subliminally, I think, kept with me all these years leading to what we do with the choir. It was, it, there's a direct relation with that. So anyways, I interrupted you, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was absolutely can't be overstated. Um, and, and of course, that had its uh, one of its uh, outcomes many years later in the opera um, uh, production that the mm-hmm. community choir did back at the beginning of May, which was sort of the fulfillment of a long-held dream. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And Crystal's dad did, in fact, come up for the production, enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, it was special for, for both of us, yeah. Yeah, it was really neat. Did he was like, I know that one, I know that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. all, every, every single one of them, in, in fact. And, and I wasn't sure whether or not he'd have the time or he'd fe- feel uh, the, the, the inclination to, to come to Flim Flum for it because this is our bit of our, a tester with this, this medium in the north. And, and, uh, and when I, I just told him about it about two weeks before uh, the actual concert, and he got a flight and up he came and enjoyed and enjoyed and it. But by the it was way, we're doing opera. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and guess what? He's going. What? Which ones are you doing? And so, Le Biam, what? Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> you know? So it was kind of a nice little father daughter. So, Mark, did you take like? Piano lessons, I'm assuming, or were you just coming out, of, just coming out of the womb with sheet music ready to go? Well, okay, there, there's a little bit of both, maybe. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. Um, so, so um, uh, I, I guess with my family, um, although neither of my parents played instruments, there were they had siblings that did, and. Um, and and either were quite good at it or or really enjoyed it. And uh, I know that my um, father's uh, next uh, youngest sister, um, uh, he was the oldest, and then the, the number two sister was uh, Aunt Sophie. And Aunt Sophie was quite a fine classical pianist. She played Chopin and various things, and played it well enough that she was one of two people in a final to get a scholarship to go study classical piano in England. And this is in grade 12, and it was potentially a life-changing thing, but she fell short by one mark. Oh, my gosh. And so she was so disappointed, she basically left piano behind from that point. I did hear her play from time to time, but but when she played... It was always a big deal. She was very nervous. She always felt she had, it had to be just perfect, that sort of thing. On my mum's side, uh, the person I heard play the most was my great-aunt Helen, and she had the opposite approach. Um, you could just take any a book of music that she had, open it, and say, what does this sound like? And she would do her best to play it for you. And it wasn't always perfect, but you got an idea what the piece was. And some of my best memories of music making as a child are from, you know, some visits there and everyone just completely enjoying her, just trying out different things. And uh, to me, that's that's my own sort of model for what music should be. It doesn't have to be perfect. Of course, the better it is, the better it is. But um, uh, the important thing is that it happens and that you share uh, that way. And, um, uh, and so that's, yeah, I mean, it was certainly an influence that way. My mom didn't play an instrument, but she really enjoyed singing. She didn't have a big voice or uh, a sort of soloist voice 
particularly, but there was, uh, she sang with feeling, I guess, and, and I always understood where she was coming from, and I thought, you know, she had a sense of style in the way she, she sang. Um, my dad also sang, <laughs> but he did so in on on Complete flights confidence. flights of enthusiasm <laughs> and flights of alcohol no, no, no my no, dad my no. dad what you know he, he wasn't a complete teetotaler but neither of my parents um, ever ever drank much but um, uh, my dad especially uh, flights of enthusiasm he yep. would get very very into something um, he um, uh, and and he would improvise melodies and stuff wow. um now, uh, this didn't always work out that way. <laughs> well, because, he had fun. <laughs> well, yeah. So the story is, is that when they, when my mom and him drove on their honeymoon, he decided to serenade her. They were driving to, from Winnipeg to Yellowstone, and I think some somewhere as they were approaching the Wyoming border, my mom said, "Please stop." <laughs> um. He, um, uh, I guess his problem was that the more enthused he got, the less pitch mattered. Um, <laughs> and it's not that he couldn't hear pitch, it's just that the enthusiasm sort of took over and he was sort of blind to key factors Death. like pitch and rhythms. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, well, absolutely. It's, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, when he calmed down, he could, act, he could, you know, sort of follow and match pitch and match rhythm, but it's just, it would sort of, it would, he really, really got into music. And so, whereas my mom would rarely um, uh, purchase a record album to listen to it or that sort of thing, my dad this is uh, so great. would, would, would mm. you know, would get albums and, and a whole variety of them. Um, uh, his... He, he he got classical albums and he was especially fond of opera. Now I that didn't immediately translate into <laughs> my loving opera. That was sort of dad's music, uh, but you know the classical music. Although I like the 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 uh, orchestral stuff, I always enjoyed and and the piano, the Chopin. He had a few discs of that. We also had stuff like. The Tijuana Brass, which I enjoyed, but up, 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 up. So we had that, and um, uh, uh, on the record player, and um, uh, and Harry Belafonte, you know, um, ayo, ayo. But didn't he give you uh, like a? Well, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. There's um, uh, uh, he went away to get his doctorate. Um, in the late 1960s, and at at the University of Grand Forks, University of North Dakota at Grand Forks, a technical name, and uh, so while he was away for about a year and a half doing that, you know, on sabbatical, and we weren't seeing much of him, and as a way as a way of sort of reconnecting with his kids, um, he just he he apparently went to a record store in Grand Forks and asked them, what, you know, my son's just turned, turned 13. What music are the teenagers listening to right oh, now? Wow. So my very first um, uh, rock and roll albums, I can't say that they ever had even a shred of rebellion to them because my dad got them for me. And um, I, I, am, uh, 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 I didn't really know what to make of them. Uh, 
One was uh, Iron Butterfly in Agata oh. Vida, <laughs> and the other one was the best of the Guess Who, and I think there was a third one actually, um, uh, which was the best of Chicago. So, um, uh, and and you know, initially I really said, "Why did you get me this?" Because I like I like classical music. Thank you. At that point, but um, uh, anyways, so I, I did. You know, little by little, listen to them. The 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 guess who was the first one I got into, and then in time I got into the the Iron Butterfly too, and um, uh, and and the Chicago. Well, at that time, I really wasn't into horns. In Chicago, <laughs> just had too many darn horns. But um, uh, uh, you know, I, I liked that too. So. Um, I, you know, my dad enjoyed a wide variety of music, and other he he had uh, he had CDs. Uh, well, it's not CDs. There there'd be albums or or tapes. He had a lot cassette. of tapes, cassette tapes. And another one he was fond of was, oh golly, um, Blind Black Singer Ray Charles. There we go. Yeah. I, I had to reconnect the dots on that one so we had a ray charles album he was fond of as well which was a little unusual because you know uh, that's uh, he's not a guy that one associated with the blues my dad was very much a nerdy type he <laughs> loved university you know always full bookshelves full of you know quite ambitious books and stuff what, like what that. was his doctorate in uh, education, but he also had a ma he had two master's degrees, one in education, and another one in um, uh, science. Um, very, he loved Let's university. About the, the, the well, at one point when he was <laughs> studying for his his master's in science, he was at the University of Chicago, and the the recruiters for NASA were coming by, and. Um, uh, and and uh, on a lark, he applied for a job, and they made him an offer. But he talked to a few of his buddies, and they talked him out of it. They said, it'll never last. <laughs> Was he like one of those guys with like the classic glasses and the crew cut haircut? And like... yep. Yep. Although he at that time, he did yeah. have yeah. glasses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's also... A Polish lad from the North End, but I mean his his uh, father was very very big on education. He never owned a car, but he was proud that all of his kids went to university. So that was um, uh, that was a huge uh, uh, thing in, in the family. Did you guys both like study abroad? No, neither no, of us. Uh, neither of us did. We, we like both to New met York or something for oh, lessons. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, that's yeah. After. Together. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's yeah. get to the meat. Here we go. Let's. Okay. Yes, the the meeting of Smith and Wesson and oh, A and W okay. here. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we were both in the uh, studying in the University of Manitoba School of Music. Mark was a year uh, older than me. And there was a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mary Taylor was her name, who kind of set us up. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was I've been of, writing songs, yeah. and, I, and she had a piano, and I played one of one of her songs, and it melted crystal. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. There's a pre-story. Okay. There's a little well, bit. <laughs> pre-story was is that I it wasn't going too well before then. <laughs> she was trying to make quiche, and I was helping out with the dough and. Instead of rolling it, I was putting it in little pieces and tapping it, going, what are you doing? it on the side. Oh, I would have yeah. got there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Pas and it's true. Well, I was thinking, okay, unusual. this, and then he I've, played Convier le Prétain, yeah, and... Uh, ne never, never done a pie in my life, so... <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and yeah, uh, so the music sort of got me back into her good graces, and uh, <laughs> rest is history. So was it, a, did you guys, from early on, artistically collaborate, or...? We, we were a piano duo mm -hmm. the first couple oh. of years, mm -hmm. and um, uh, up until... But up until we got married, and then after that, it sort of slowly faded out. Yeah. We tried to keep it going, but well, yeah. Sort of I, I, when we were first uh, working as a as a team, and we ended up having a in a, an audition with a fantastic teacher by the name of Jean Paul Sevilla, who was came from Paris and was going to be teaching in Ottawa, and he offered to teach us. But then, as soon as we got that offer, then our our teacher. Um, called uh, a, a, a teacher in, from Juilliard uh, whose name is Janine Dowis in New York if she would take us on so we end up and that's another story had to get to uh, to sort of audition with her work with her at, in Aspen there is um, a big uh, music festival there so um, we weren't quite married so the Mark and I and his dad <laughs> In the we little Toyota, we were a traditional car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and off we drove we to. Had a very safe, safe existence <laughs> prior to marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So there was there was an experience, and so we end up going and and meeting Janine Dowis, and and uh, the one experience I remember is when you have like two grand pianos. They actually, if you can imagine that. Uh, there's a curve to a grand piano, and in her living room in this cottage in Aspen, there were two full-size grand pianos, so it's even bigger than the ones in the community hall, and they kind of they kind of almost fit into each other, so that you know, like the fabulous Baker boys. So that's well, you so you have two yeah, so the two two pianists look at each other because you actually have to really follow each other's body language and 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 or, or your your shoulders and your there's all this. Is an eyes to, to really match ex exactly, and so Mark, as you know, is an extraordinary uh, musician, and I was able to keep toe to toe, except when it came to, uh, I really needed to follow the music super super closely, and so Jean um, Dawes came. And she said, "Darling, she was a Texan. She said, Darling, you can't." You can't do that. You have to look at him, his eyes constantly. And we're playing these big, a whole page of big cluster chords, these crunch chords, cluster chords. And I was going, well, I can't do that. <laughs> you know? And so she said, you must. You know? And so she t went to her kitchen. She got an apron. She tied it around my neck and she threw it over the, over the piano. She said, play. And I'm not a crier, but... <laughs> It was literally, literally like one of those Bugs Bunny movies where you yeah. see the water rising up your eyeball. <laughs> and I could see more because I was looking eyeball to because I couldn't see my hand, so I really had to go closer eyeball to eyeball. And I could see him mouthing, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I just burst into tears. And so when she, when she said she came, she, she gave me a big hug. She says, darling, why are you crying? She said, I haven't even hit you yet. I was like, oh my God, you're going to hit me? <laughs> And so after that, she said, "Well, do you want to like perform and do you want to compete in Russia, or and come to you know?" We that's when we started our year of lessons with her in Manhattan. And was is that as glamorous as it sounds? Well, you know what? It was an adventure, as it sounds. Well, it was... she had an uh, she and her husband were a piano duo team, and they had an apartment on Riverside Drive, which is a pretty posh address. Oh. Yeah, and. Uh, 
and and uh, it was you know very interesting going there. She had she had a um, uh, she and her husband were sponsored artists for the Steinway Company, so she had an in with them, and she we needed a spot to rehearse while we were there. So she'd arranged that we could get into the basement of the Steinway Company showroom, which was right across from Carnegie Hall. Yeah. And in the basement was uh, a couple of matched. Um, you know, sort of garden variety grand pianos that we were allowed to play. Then there was this room that we were not supposed to enter, which um, uh, was where all of the pianos that were being uh, kept, kept for yeah. for performances at yeah. Carnegie Hall. Claudio and, and yeah. so yeah, so we we uh, and and we we did. Um, uh, Follow the rules quite scrupulously. Are we allowed to say this here? Very, Until very close to the end, and then, well, the, uh, uh, and then uh, the custodian was, um, Polish. Uh, was a Pol Polish fellow who who said. Um, uh, and we would hey. practice there every month. We went yeah. for lessons. So we got I should to know go us. back a little so. bit. Yeah. So for these lessons, the way it would work is because the way we could afford it, uh, we would um, our, the lessons at that point. This was like the mid 1980s. Was a hundred dollars an hour. We had eight hour lesson the first day and a six hour lesson the second day, and then the the hotel rooms and and so uh, and so it was like a huge amount of money for us. And so the way we would work is we would catch the flight from Winnipeg, Toronto, Toronto, Manhattan, have our eight hour of the lessons, then sleep in the next day, have another the six hour lessons. So it was so but that was once was a month every month for and, a year. And we kept working back home in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. So it actually was not um, not the sort of financially uh, disastrous thing that a year of study might have been otherwise. And mm -hmm. we were actually in quite relatively good shape you know for mm -hmm. me for struggling young musicians um, uh, we, we were doing okay um, uh, so I mean that that was the thing some people would go away for a master's degree and we at that point in you know whatever youthful um, uh, vitality and <laughs> and and um, uh, sense of adventure decided that what we really wanted to do was concentrate just on the playing and a master's degree, you're doing theses and producing papers and a whole bunch of stuff, and decided that we wanted to just concentrate on the actual playing the piano. So, yeah. is, is so, this when you did like uh, the dance company stuff? Was that well, I that's yes, I was yeah. doing the dance company stuff uh, to earn money during that point and for quite a few years after that. Mm -hmm. so, so what? That's. Are you like improving? Is it, is it eight hours dance, a day of, of piano playing? Yeah, at wow. the dance companies. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it'd be between between um, uh, five and eight hours a day, depending on the schedule. And yeah, I'd be improv improvising the whole time in various classical styles usually. But when it came to the modern dance classes, it was more f free as to styles. I'd occasionally be able to throw in some some you know rock or blues or you know, country or what have you. And, 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 he, and he had a chance to work with extraordinary people like Sandra Niels and and uh, uh, Peggy Baker. Peggy There's Baker. a few few people that we've been able to sort of reconnect with and now are sort of a little bit the who's who, I would say, of the, of, of the well, we dance to, world. We went to Toronto um, uh, uh, last uh, couple of months ago. Like, well, few weeks ago. Easter. Yeah. Yeah. Easter, with, with uh, visited Katrin, and we walked... 
the, an area that she wanted to show us, this, this sort of uh, former uh, distillery district, and we went into one arts um, uh, building that they had there with uh, all of these small art studios and things to where, they, where you could buy stuff. And uh, Up on the top floor they had the um, um, uh, home of dance makers, uh, a dance company there that's been around since the 70s and I guess Peggy in particular was one of the founders of the company. And Peggy they had Baker, yeah. Peggy, they had um, uh, the Peggy Baker dance studio there and a yeah. big picture of her and I yeah. go, yes, well I worked with her. Yeah, back, we composed a piece for, for her, uh, a piece that she'd choreographed and um, uh, so it's um, it's all um, uh, it can be a relatively small world. It did some very rewarding things there but and then at age uh, 30, he went back to school and studied law. Mm -hmm. um, by that point, we had two kids, and it was time to try something, yeah. Yeah, something a little bit like that. Well, I think also, too, we were looking at what your impression is, Mark, but we were looking at a lot of our friends that were in the circuit in terms of in that world, and people, we knew we wanted to have a family. We knew we wanted to have, we didn't want to necessarily spend our time traveling around the world if we had that opportunity although I really love traveling but spending all those out for me personally not as much probably for you Mark but for me personally the effort that I needed to be able to put all of that those hours of repertoire together was uh, so fraught with anxiety of trying to be perfect that uh, it was actually uh, a really stressful you know thought for me to sort of have that as a as a long-term goal of life and so um i don't know but you know you would you probably could have yeah kept on going <laughs> but <laughs> but it's true once we ended up having the kids it just yeah, sort it just, of put things in perspective mm -hmm. i i the, the law was always something that had interested me mm -hmm. in high school and the like but i'm you know people kept telling me i was good at music and and uh, just thought, well, okay. Uh, well, my music teacher said, "Of course, you're going to study music." And so I guess, I, th I guess, I, I guess you're right. Um, uh, yeah, so that's what yeah. I did. My first music degree, uh, yeah. you know, my first university degree. In well, music you know, and it was Crystal. so it was so worth it. I think because you know the 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 logic would say do something practical right off at the you know, mm -hmm. but if we wouldn't have had that year in Manhattan and then uh, that that decade we with the decade with the companies like you've been able to contribute so much to this community and just with that that collective knowledge like you two as well you know there's that there's that knowledge that you can share which you know if well, you didn't have the life experience you wouldn't have it, had it it certainly it, it adds up yeah it certainly added a whole lot of richness to our experience in Flin Flon well when in the course of time we moved here so and when was that yeah, so 19, yeah. 1995 1995 yeah and so you were in Winnipeg previous to this oh, yeah. that's so, right yeah so and why Flin Flon what was that well there was a job they had they so posted the a, a posted a position for city solicitor for uh, 
municipal government here. And Crystal's father had been city solicitor in Winnipeg, and mm -hmm. I uh, saw his lifestyle and said, you know, this isn't so bad. He had a wide range of interests. Mm -hmm. Crystal talked about the interest in opera. He also did painting. He had, you know, sort of uh, did sailing. It, it wasn't the sort of thing where he was doing murder trials at the other <laughs> week. Or, yeah. You know, it was, you know, sort of more corporate law. And um, uh, I thought, okay, this is, this is okay. You know, this would be mm -hmm. something to strive for, and and uh, when the position opened up, I thought, gee, this is this could be perfect, and I applied, got yeah. the position, and we moved here. And, and so that's part one, kind of BC before Crystal and Mark made their way to Flin Flon. In our next part, we'll talk about their early stages in the community, what they thought about the town, and how they started changing Flin Flon into an arts hub. We may have to extend it to a third episode as well. Be looking for that in the next upcoming weeks. Still to come, we've got Susan Lethbridge in for an amazing feature chat about her time performing pretty much all across the country. And part two of Craig Bancroft also still to come. So keep on listening to the Sewer Box Office podcast. Raphael Saray, Bebe, saying good night and good podcasting.